1: And we'd like to welcome everybody back to the Footballers family podcast. we got a guest that's been on a few times, but it's been a while. It's Darren Hayes, uh, Darren, can you just inter- again introduce yourself and and your show and everything else?
0: Yeah. Uh, my name is Darren Hayes. I have a, a couple podcasts podcasts uh, here on sports history network, the pigskin dispatch podcast and the sports Jersey dispatch podcast. And, uh, know have a great time uh, talking about sports history all the time and football history on pigskin dispatch like we're going to talk about today
1: yeah it's i enjoy your show it's very fast paced i don't know how well i guess because you are from the north you could talk a lot faster than us southerners so that's probably part of it
0: (laughs) but that that could be but remember my my mother's from from down your way in tennessee she's from gatlinburg so i have some southern roots to me too
1: Uh, but see we eastern tennessee is as north as it comes in tennessee so you know it is what it is darren what i'm just glad you got to come on it's hard to get a hold of you because of all the stuff you got going on but you have something special that just basically just a little bit ago had been released what is it what did you do
0: well we we took uh, our sort of our media project to a whole new level you know we've done the podcasting we have the websites uh, done some audio dramas and some things like that but we, well, we decided to write a book and it's on a team that's local to me here in western pennsylvania uh, a team from 120 years ago uh, actually 120 years ago right now from the 1903 season uh, franklin pennsylvania all-stars and you know they're sort of a forgotten team but they're probably one of the most uh, unforgettable teams in history
1: Franklin yeah you know what I am going to I am completely ignorant on this and I thought well I could do a quick search on this I'm not gonna do that because I got you it's okay me so tell me about this team
0: all right let's let's go back in time a little bit Franklin Pennsylvania for those of, that haven't heard of it is uh you've probably heard of uh, edwin drake edwin drake discovered the first commercial oil well in western pennsylvania in the venango county of pennsylvania which is probably about 50 60 miles south of where i am in erie it's halfway between erie and pittsburgh and drake you heard of drake's follies i was the, the yeah. what they call it because they thought it was such a folly that he was you know, drilling this well by oil creek uh, uh, which uh, feeds down into the ohio river eventually well the towns that sprung up there because wealth, uh, where there's oil, there's wealth, and a couple towns really sprung up, Franklin being one of them, named for Benjamin Franklin. There was a Fort Franklin there uh, between the British and the French back in Revolutionary War and before uh, eras, and Oil City. And these two towns uh, were extremely wealthy, nine miles apart, and they, of course, had a rivalry not only through business rivalries with uh, the oil and everything going on, but they had athleticism rivalries too, starting off in baseball and working their way into football at the turn of the last century. And that's sort of what sparked the building of this Franklin team is uh, just uh, the tremendous rivalry they had with Oil City. Um, (laughs) Oil City in 1902 uh, had a team and they they decided they were going to play Franklin right at Thanksgiving time. So right about this time of the year. And they were going to play two or three games that year uh, against Franklin. And where there's money and there's athletes and athleticism, well, there's always been gambling. And so there's quite a bit of money back in the day uh, with these millionaires uh, betting on their their favorite team, their home team. And Oil City decided to step it up a little bit because Franklin had a pretty good team going in. So Oil City decided to go and get some ringers on Thanksgiving Day. And they ended up, uh, back in 1902, there was a, a, the original National Football League, not associated with the National Football League we know today, but there was a three-team league, the Philadelphia Athletics, that, which were associated with the baseball team. Connie Mack was in charge of it. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, again, associated with the baseball team. And the Pittsburgh Stars, which weren't really associated with the Pittsburgh Pirates, but there was a lot of athletes uh, from the area Pittsburgh. And these three teams had the original National Football League going on their championship game for that league was the Philadelphia Athletics visiting the Pittsburgh Stars on what we call Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. So Franklin and Oil City play on uh, Thanksgiving Day and well they end up tying. They, well, I'm sorry, they they played the previous week and they tied. They uh, Oil City won 6 to 5 on Thanksgiving Day and they decide to have sort of a rubber match because you know, Franklin you know wanted to have a game back at their place. So uh, oil city went and they grabbed the most of the whole team of the Philadelphia athletics who played the championship game in the NFL the day before hired the whole team in and beat Franklin. It was a close score. It was something like uh, 12 to seven or something. It wasn't, you know, a blowout. Franklin held their own, but Franklin lost a lot of money. Uh, they they were kind of miffed about this. So the a, a guy by the name of general Charles Miller, who fought in the civil war was sort of a, the, the, probably the richest guy in Franklin, Um, he ended up hiring uh, the manager of the football team. He said, I don't care what it takes, build the the best football team that's going to beat Oil City next year, the following season, 1903. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how much it costs. So this gentleman, a a young clothing merchant uh, in Franklin, Dave Prince was his name. He ended up going out and hiring the best football players in the world at the time. Uh, He hired probably about half of the team of the Philadelphia Athletics, half the team of the Pittsburgh Stars, grabbed some of the greatest collegiate players of the day and uh, brought them into the Franklin fold for a full season of 1903, basically to beat Oil City in three games the following year so these guys could get their money back. That's that's sort of the basis of of how they started.
1: When you you talk uh, about hiring a whole team – they were not under contract for years, were they? They were just under contract per game?
0: Yeah, it was sort of a different world there. you could go and play on a team. There, there was famous baseball players that played all the time, like Rube Waddell would play. Uh, actually, he played against Franklin in 1903 season. He played for a team called Grove City uh, one week, and the next week he was playing for Butler, you know, football but he was a baseball player, a major league baseball player. So yeah, that wasn't the contracts that they have today. you could play outside of your league uh, against other, other
1: teams. I, I imagine George Pickens playing for the Steelers Sunday and then next Sunday playing for the Eagles. I mean, that would be weird.
0: Yeah. It, and I, that's actually what started uh, in the NFL. They had that same problem in the APFA in the 1920s and uh, you know, they ended up having a meeting on it. And I think it was like early 1921, 1922, when they were first becoming the NFL from the APFA, they ended up putting rules in place. So you couldn't jump ship and jump teams like that because quite a few teams were doing it. Uh, Actually a lot of teams from uh, the original AFL, the red Grange league in the 1920s were playing for like the Philadelphia Quakers that won that league. And then uh, they would go and play for the Buffalo all Americans in the NFL one on Saturday would jump over on Sunday and play for the other team. It was kind of, he had some things going on like that. So eventually the NFL put a kibosh to that and uh, the contract stood.
1: Yeah. Their bodies must've taken a beating to play that many games in a row. I can't imagine that.
0: Yeah. It's uh these guys were athletes. Uh, they, like I said, they were the best of the time. A lot of baseball players played football. Chris, Christy Mathewson uh, played in that original NFL. Uh, Rube Waddell, like we talked about, a uh, guy on Franklin. Their quarterback was a man by the name of Jack Hayden, and he played on quite a few uh, different major league baseball teams as well during the baseball season.
1: You, but the one thing about you, Darren, that I appreciate and I respect is that you not only have passion, but you show passion. This was a passion project for you on it.
0: It was because it was a, a local story. You know, I've, when I officiated, I officiated quite a few games between Franklin high school and oil city high school, which still are a rivalry to this day. They don't have professional teams anymore. Uh, but the, you know, these two teams, uh, you know, they're neighbors, but when there's neighbors and you have two schools about the same time or two professional football teams or baseball teams, or whatever, there's going to be competition. And, uh, so I, I've I've lived through part of that rivalry on the officiating side of it, and I've enjoyed it. And when I came across the story a few years ago, it caught my interest because of the town. And when I got into it, especially this past year, uh, it, what it uncovered, I, I it blew my mind about this team. And uh, they really changed the course of professional football history.
1: So if somebody was getting into this book, and uh, where is it available? And we'll have it in the show notes and everything like that. Well,
0: it's, uh, the title of it is The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team, the 1903 Franklin All-Stars. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it's an e-book format. Uh, by the time this comes out, you'll be able to get it on hardcover and in paperback there. And you can find links on pigskindispatch.com. We have it right on our front page to, to get you those Amazon links too. So you can get that way too.
1: So people people are, are going to read this, they need to get out of this whole modern-day football, the Travis, Kelsey, Taylor Swift stuff, and go back when it wasn't so glamorous? Well, sort
0: of, because it was sort of glamorous for that for that era.
1: Okay, okay, um, so it's the time yeah, frame, yeah.
0: It's the time frame, but remember, professional football was sort of looked down at this time. College, college football was yeah. king. Yeah. College was king, and pros were just a bunch of – you know, has-been collegians that were trying to make a couple bucks, and a lot of the college coaches sort of looked down upon it and thought that was it was bad. It was a college game. It should just end at college for the, those ranks is what they thought. Yeah. And uh, Many prominent – I mean, I'm talking like Amos Alonzo Stagg and Bob yeah. Zupke and all those all the way into the 20s. They thought that way.
1: Well, I think there was a movie, and I might have it wrong, Leatherheads mm-hmm. with George Clooney. I watched that, but, you know, I was into – Football history, but I didn't go that far back. And I watched that. It it's like, why is it that the college ranks? And then I then what you're talking about. I started reading. I'm like, oh, oh, and Red Grange. I believe he was the one that kind of bridged the gap between the two professions, you know, college and pro. And that's that's pretty cool. But the fact is, this was a regional situation that kind of bit got a little bit bigger when money got involved. One in it?
0: Uh, it, it certainly was. Um, you know, 1903 comes along, and they have uh, some of the greatest players on their on their squad. Matter of fact, uh, the PFRA in their Coffin Corner magazine, unbeknownst to me, they had a, one of the guys uh, there. John Wilkie wrote an article two months ago when the, the Coffin Corner came out, and he had the greatest uh, players from certain eras in the 1900 to 1910 era there's three players that were on this Franklin team that were on that all-era team. Jack Hayden, we talked about a little bit, at the quarterback. You had uh, Herman Kirkhoff, uh, who was a, a big lineman that played. God, he played for probably 15 years all over. He played in the Midwest, played in Colorado, played uh, for the Philadelphia Athletics, and played for the Franklin Stars, and eventually played on the Canton Bulldogs-Masslin uh, Tigers. I forget which oh. one, but he played for one of those. So wow, that's the, pretty big. Guys, yeah, yeah, these guys were big. And this team, I mean, you sit there and you think of one of the things that they did, it was a dramatic shift in football that Franklin is responsible for. Okay, nineteen or 1892, Pudge Heffelfinger is the first paid pro football player in the area of Pittsburgh, western Pennsylvania. And it goes all the way through. All you hear about it for professional football for the next 10 years is western Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. 1903, uh, in the NFL, the original NFL, three Pennsylvania teams. Well, uh, You don't hear about a professional football team after Franklin, 1903, until well, you hear a little bit on the east side, Pottsville, Maroons, Frankford Yellow Jackets. But you really don't hear about anything until the blue laws in Pennsylvania were lifted in 1933, Philadelphia Eagles, Pittsburgh Steelers come into play. Because everything shifted after 1903 over across the border, which is only – Fifteen miles, twenty miles from Franklin into Ohio for Canton, Massillon, Youngstown, Akron—you know all those teams over there. The o- mythical Ohio League yeah. started up from sort of 1904 all the way through the 1920s
1: when the NFL came in. So, it, it, and explain the blue laws if people don't know what that is.
0: Well, the blue laws, Pennsylvania decided that uh, you know there was there was a very religious Christian oriented. Uh, uh, government at the time. And they said, you know, you can't have professionalism working on Sundays. So whether you're a, a shopkeeper or, uh, you know, you're a blacksmith or a professional baseball player, professional football player, you can't get paid to work on Sundays except for ministers. So that was sort of the, the, what the blue law said. And I, I can you respect weren't allowed that. To do I
1: yeah, agree. So, <laughs>
0: So, I mean, today you respect it. You see like the Hobby Lobbies and the Chick-fil-A's. They respect the blue laws, which is, you know, a very, very good thing.
1: I remember growing up um, in the 80s when I started, or in 79. But I remember in the 80s, a lot of things were shut down. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of meals. So, after church, we would, I think Taco Bell was the only one that made my mom real happy. We went to Taco Bell. (laughs) Uh, which now I'm thinking, hmm, I can relate to that <laughs> it's it's okay. Sorry. it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what made the blue laws change?
0: Well, the blue laws in nineteen thirty three. I think they got some different uh, folks in, in government that, uh, and, you know, business was really thriving. Uh, the 19, you know, you went through the great depression in 1933 and people were trying to come up with better ways to make income. I think that's part of it. So you needed to work on Sundays For professional sports in Pennsylvania, 1933 was the big year and the Eagles uh, who were owned by you know, our friend, uh, you know, uh, Upton Bell's father, Burt Bell, and his yeah. mother, Mary um, Frances Upton. They had an inkling, and so did Art Rooney in Pittsburgh, that they were going to be lifted. So they bought it, their franchise in the NFL. Uh, the, that 1933 season, the Eagles and the Steelers, the first couple weeks, they played their home games were on Saturdays, or they played an away game. They didn't play on Sundays. Middle of the year, probably like October-ish. Uh, I forget the exact date. the the blue law is repealed and the Steelers and Eagles can have home games on Sundays and they're welcomed into the NFL with, uh, you know, big hugs and, you know, know, big games.
1: (laughs) Well, you, you, you uh, got me thinking about some things when you mentioned this shift from Pennsylvania to Ohio because of a law. How long did it take for, well, let, let me see if I can.
0: But, well, it wasn't the, it wasn't the shift because of the law, the, the the law. And I'm sorry if I confuse you. The law okay. was what allowed the Steelers and the Eagles come in, in 1933 when the law was repealed.
1: Oh, well, before the law or, or okay. when the law was the shift kind of moved to Ohio because of the law. Is that did I get that correct?
0: Well, the, I, I'm saying that the Franklin team, because they bought up all the players and they, they ended up. Basically squashing the the original NFL. Oh,
1: OK. OK. They, they
0: took all their big, big players out. Of it. it would have been like if the USFL would come in and hire all the NFL players away and nobody wanted to go to the NFL games anymore because they all went to the USFL. This That's sort of what they did
1: with one team. This kid's why we don't have monopolies or we shouldn't <laughs> have monopolies. Teddy Roosevelt would have had a lot of problems with that
0: well uh, teddy, teddy roosevelt was a president at the time when this was going on remembers i do 1901 to 1909
1: but this probably wasn't that big of a deal to him compared to standard oil
0: no and well, standard oil ended up buying when i talked about general charles miller and joseph sibley who owned the franklin team they were the, they were the board of directors basically standard oil rockefeller ended up buying out their companies uh galena signal oil company and that's where their wealth really increased. Right around the same time, too.
1: Golly, history and football just meshing. Um, you you live in the hotbed of the history of, of of pro football. You live in that area, not only with with the era that you're talking about, but with Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and then the then the uh, the Eagles blending together with the Steelers during during the during World War II, and then with the Cardinals as well uh the carpets if if i remember correctly right Um, right. what is it about this this uh state that you're in pennsylvania that really brought pro football the way it is what what do you think it was
0: Well, well there was a lot of innovators that came from this area i mean john heisman grew up in the same area of western pennsylvania he i believe he grew up in uh Titusville. Don't quote me on that. Somewhere sure. in that same area. Oh, I, I didn't time. know that.
1: I didn't know so that. John
0: Heisman's from there. Pop Warner. I mean, uh, up in Erie, we're up in sort of the smokestack of, of Pennsylvania right up by Lake Erie. So we're twenty mi- within 20 miles of the New York line, within 20 miles of the Ohio line. So, but up in Springfield, New York, Pop Warner was born, which is not far from us. Uh, you know, Heisman was actually born in Cleveland, moved over to Western Pennsylvania as a kid and that's where he went to school and everything. Uh, the, the, Pitt panther teams that in washington uh w and j washington jefferson of that that era the early 1900s through the 1920s had some tremendous teams and coaches that went through jock sutherland uh, pop warner was there pop warner was at carlisle over on the east side of the state so uh penn state wasn't a big factor back in, in this era but The University of Pennsylvania was because it was one of the original uh, what we call Ivy League schools now competing with the Yales and the Princeton's and Harvard's of that era. So there were some great teams uh, and great players that came out of Pennsylvania because it's sort of a Pennsylvania is sort of part of it. The East Side is sort of an East Coast uh, society. And on the West Side, we're sort of a Midwestern society. We're sort of a mixing pot in Pennsylvania. And when the two of those collide, I guess you you get some rivalry and some different styles of football and different politics and everything else.
1: Well, what what's fascinated me as well, in Tennessee, we didn't have a football team until 97, really. So I didn't have any loyalty to a local. It was the Broncos because I saw John Elway playing. I thought, that guy's cool. Um, For you, growing up in your area, there's a division between Philadelphia and Pitts, uh, Pittsburgh, correct?
0: Well, not even – Philadelphia is probably about six hours away where I am in Erie, we are uh, ex- almost a hundred miles away from Buffalo, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. Oh, We're in the gracious. middle of a triangle, so we've got three NFL teams within two hours. We can be in their home stadium uh, from where I live.
1: Good, gracious. Canton.
0: Canton's Great. not that far. Canton's an hour and forty-five minutes away.
1: God, nice. So you did you have a? I know this has nothing to do with book, but I'm fascinated with this. Did you have a lot of um, pull from Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Cleveland? for your loyalty?
0: Well, it, it's a split thing. My, my family grew up, you know, my, my dad always says, and my grandfather, they worked in factories here in Erie. And uh, they always, everything was Browns, Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns. And they couldn't stand hearing these guys talk about Cleveland. They were Pennsylvania guys, and they wanted to root for a Pennsylvania team. So they were for the Steelers, who would get demolished by these, you know, great Browns teams with Paul Brown and Jim Brown and you know uh, Otto Graham and all of them. So they they're sort of laughing socks till the seventies, when that's about when I started watching football, is you know the Mac reception and everything. And I can remember my dad, my grandfather, put me in front of the TV at six years old and said, "You got to see this. Watch this plays. They're showing the replays." And I had no idea what was going on, but you know that's sort of. I was sort of bred into it and it's Western Pennsylvania is it's a hard nose football from the North, all the way to the South. It's, it's tough nose football and it's a, it's a football uh, place. That's our, that's our sport here in Western Pennsylvania. So uh,
1: if I were to drive up there, which I don't know if if y'all would let me go up that far North. I I don't think it (laughs) would. I actually tried out at a church in Ohio and it was on one of the, the lakes up there and it was march and there was a foot of snow and i thought i like this but this might get old after a while oh there was only a foot that day elyria elyria (laughs) that's where it was Uh, oh okay yeah only. that's not too far from us it's a beautiful area it's very very beautiful area up there but if i were to drive up north right now and drive in your area would i see just a just solid black and gold or would i see a lot of different things
0: no right Right now, uh, with the fan bases, you know Buffalo is sort of the hot ticket the last few years because they've had the the better team of the three. So if you're in Erie, you'll see Buffalo flags flying, and you'll still see Steelers and Browns things all over the place. This year, everybody's sort of, uh, you know, right in the same boat. And uh, there's a big big rivalry, you know, going here. Our, our TV rights for the NFL has deemed us a Buffalo market. Oh so, come on, that that so, to me would hurt your Steelers. And, fan. Oh, it, it definitely does. And there's more Steelers and Browns fans than there are Buffalo fans, if you probably didn't per capita.
1: I, I, don't, I don't understand the rights. Uh, <laughs> we were in Alabama for a couple of years, and I wanted my Titans games. They didn't have NFL Sunday ticket yet. And finally, the year before we moved, we got Tennessee games, and it just blew me away. I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. Uh, but Sunday <laughs> ticket kind of changed things, did
0: yeah, it did. There, there was times when I was a kid when Buffalo really wasn't all that good and the Steelers and Browns teams, you know, Steelers winning Super Bowls, the Browns are right there with them, very competitive, Brian Sipe and the Pruitts uh, in the backfield and everything. And there was games games where the Steelers and Browns, every year you would have one game blacked out in in our area because they'd have Buffalo on, and you'd have to drive to Ohio or down near Pittsburgh to see the game because you couldn't watch the game of these two, you know, titans of the, uh, you know, AFC at the time, but you'd watch the, the lowly bills play, you know, whoever they were playing you know, the jets or something that wasn't a good game.
1: Would you do it? Would you also, would your family do that?
0: Oh yeah. We, we did it occasionally, or we would go to the game. And I was at the game in Cleveland when uh, uh, Turkey Jones uh, dumped Terry Bradshaw on his head. as in the old Cleveland Coliseum. <laughs> that was a, that was kind of a, a emotional thing that happened there but
1: that i see this is what i like about not only with you and hearing your podcasts which is fantastic but also just hearing from you right now is somebody who has a lifelong fandom from six years old to now you know six you didn't understand it but you were there um, I can't relate to that because I didn't I didn't have that. But hearing you know, your family talking, your grandfather, your dad, you traveling to games, going to Cleveland to watch a game. That's what I appreciate about you, Darren. And and even the book that you wrote, wrote uh, that you've written, I can see the love and respect that you have for your teams. I respect that. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, Oh, Thank you. Yeah, it's not hard to respect the Franklin team, though, okay, because not only did they change professional football that way by making the shift to go over to Ohio and really propelling the Ohio League and taking it out of Pennsylvania for decades, but they, I mean, this team was so good. I mean, what, what's the most dominant professional football team that you can think of? Name, name a team
1: dominant, like over a period of time, or,
0: or do- dominant even one season, you can say. I mean, who's the oh, most gosh. dominant?
1: Probably, and I hate to say this because this makes me really sick to say it. Probably the two thousand Ravens, or, or how about this? And I and I can't remember the exact year. The year that the Patriots was two thousand eight that they went undefeated, or was that two thousand seven? Two
0: thousand seven, they went undefeated and lost the Super that, Bowl. <laughs>
1: that probably was a lot about a notch better than the Ravens in two thousand.
0: Yeah, th- those are two common teams. The 72 Dolphins, of course, they're undefeated yeah. season, championship yeah. season. The, the 1948 Browns in the AFC, they went undefeated and won the AFC title. Okay, but those teams, Franklin did a, a lot better than them, actually. They, they called Miami the perfect season. Well, people scored on Miami that year. I mean, the, in the Super Bowl, they beat Washington 14 to 7. So people obviously scored. Uh, Franklin went undefeated unscored upon and in this is a three years before the forward pass was legal they scored (laughs) touchdowns were worth five points and with that in mind they scored 0.92 points per minute played oh my goodness pass only two teams crossed midfield all season long and those were on fumble recoveries Franklin tracked down and tackled them and those teams either on the next play gave up the ball by a fumble or were tackled on the other side of midfield so there's only two plays against them all season on their side of the field they played 12 games two of them were in a postseason tournament called the World Series of Football the second World Series of Football in Madison Square Gardens in December 1903 playing against the best teams that professional football had to offer at the time
1: yeah. So that's good gracious. That is insane. Uh, to think that you can go, you know, you would think a flute play that yeah. scored and it didn't happen. Well, let's just say this. Uh, maybe their style of football couldn't translate today, but we don't have to worry about them translating. They did what they did in the time that they had it. And that's, what's awesome about that.
0: Yeah. It, it, it definitely is. I mean, just to put the scoring in perspective, you know, I, d- I wrote an article a couple years ago on Pigskin Dispatch and they had uh, I, we talked about the, the greatest scoring teams of all time. And actually the I think it was the 1950s, I forget, 56, 55 uh, Los Angeles Rams scored the most points per game on average. And they were like thirty eight and a half points per game. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs from a couple years ago, they were like thirty five point range. Uh, and some of our more modern teams, 35 points a game on average. So if you sit there and think about that in a 60-minute game that they played, that's a little over a half a point a minute. Pretty darn good, though. That's That's, a lot that's of pretty good. Yeah. So think about, before, they had the forward pass, so, so they could move the ball really quick. Think about this. Every play is a running play up the middle. It's, it's almost like a quarterback sneak or a fullback dive every single play of the game, and they're scoring a point a minute almost a point a minute with touchdowns only being worth five points. If touchdowns were worth six points, I calculated it out per minute. They were averaging 1.2 points per minute. <laughs> <running> the ball.
1: <laughs> now let, let, let me ask you this because I'm, I cannot keep the, the, the dates correctly. Did they have the hash marks at that time? They had
0: the grid iron at that time. Okay. So you had, you had the, that was 1903 was, I think was the first year that they had the full goal line to goal line grid a five-yard grids all the way up and down where the gridiron comes from.
1: So when you have up the middle runs, because with the with the with the hash marks, you can do a lot more on the outside. Up the middle runs, scoring nearly a point a minute. Yeah, gracious.
0: <laughs> yeah it blows your mind. That's what I'm saying. It's a pretty dominant team, and uh, you know that. But that's also the reason why parity in the NFL is so important if we take a lesson of, you know, because it's great if you're a Franklin fan, but if you're a Syracuse, uh, you know, all-stars or the Watertown Red Blacks who are their big rivals or the East End Athletic Club out of Pittsburgh, it wasn't so much fun. And and by the way, Oil City that year forfeited and would not play Franklin those three games that they built this team for. So they, they built just, this team and they they didn't really have the team they really wanted to play.
1: They couldn't uh, do it. They could No. Oh. You talk about parody, and I got a couple more minutes, Darren, before Zoom tells me to quit. Um, uh, I was I saw something yesterday that said next year Pittsburgh will not Pittsburgh, Cleveland will have to eat 60, almost 69 million dollars a cap hit for Deshaun Watson. They gotta do it this year. So you're talking about parody. Sometimes parody can be can be done, but also Contracts might be a little rough to swallow, and they said that if they cut him, two hundred million dollars worth of dead space, you'd have to gut the team. So yeah, that
0: it's it wasn't it was, probably wasn't the best investment after these first two years of it. But it's two hundred fifty million dollars guaranteed five years, so it's about fifty million dollars a year is on average what they have to pay him. You know, I think last year was less, that's why it goes up to sixty nine million next year. I'm just think, he played. Six games last year and six games in 2023 of a 17-game schedule. So take 50 million divided by uh, six, and that's
1: a pretty, pretty good chunk of change he's making per show. game. <laughs> and that's when when I saw when I saw the price that Kansas City was going to pay for Patrick Mahomes, and, and to me, he's worth it. But I thought you're going to lose out on some players because you can't keep up with that Parody. Parody. Right. Titans right. have a million, a hundred million dollars worth of cap space next year. Mm. Let's see what happens with that. Darren, uh, I, I, uh like I said, I have to head out. Where can we get your book again?
0: Again, you can go to pigskindispatch.com or go on Amazon and either search under the world's greatest pro gridiron team or under my name, Darren Hayes, D-A-R-I-N-H-A-Y-E-S.
1: Darren, Darren is going to be in Tennessee soon. And I was like, man, we get to meet we're gonna be passing in the night, my friend. Just passing in the night. But we'll we'll hook up. Uh I'll I'll show up at your door one day with my bag. Say, hey, can I stay here for a couple of days and see what happens?
0: Yeah, anytime, but,
1: Jeremy. You got it. <laughs> thank you, Darren. And thank y'all for listening to the Football's Family Podcast.
0: Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month